0: Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your brain space. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews. I'm back for another day to talk Blue Jays with y'all, and we have to talk Blue Jays in the wake of what happened last night a lot of you tuning into that one obviously the Boston Red Sox coming to town to open a four-game series with Toronto and it was a roller coaster of emotions to try and watch that game and you you compound it with an absolute torrential downpour that happened while the game was wrapping up it it was a downpour not seen since Josh Donaldson went on the DL it was just a a tough game to watch because it had all the hallmarks of a Blue Jays game that you would watch and like you know okay this is exactly how it ends against the Boston team but then then there's a, there's a comeback up where you oh maybe it's different and then just absolute plummeting down back to where we've been the past year and a half with this team. Just, I I hope you got the use out of that Spotify playlist from yesterday because it it feels pretty accurate, pretty apt after a game like that. So we're going to discuss the the obvious low points of that 10-7 Boston win in extra innings. But I wanted to start with... You know, some highlights, some some positivity to get us through this Wednesday edition of Locked on Blue Jays. And first, I actually want to start with the offense. The offense did well, definitely above average, considering what they've put out this year. Every Blue Jay starter got a hit. I don't think the team has been able to say that in a long long time. Everyone was putting some lumber on the ball, whether it be against Drew Pomerantz, who had a very short outing, which may get him booted from the team at this rate, to the bullpen, to Matt Barnes and Craig Kimbrell, two of the most imposing relievers in Major League Baseball this season. And then like, like it wasn't good with runners in scoring position, but they were still Doing things at the plate. there were still glimpses of hope, which is what you're looking for in this lost season for the blue jays there were there were glimpses of control batting that Teosco Hernandez sacrifice fly in the seventh inning comes to mind about how the Blue Jays were able to generate a run, capitalizing on mistakes and and getting to the point where, where they could manufacture that run with just one hit that Devin Travis hit. And we we have to highlight Devin Travis as a star of the offense lately. Um, ben Nicholson-Smith posted that he's batting 287 since he came back from Buffalo. And he has been absolutely on fuego for a team that needs people on fuego. And with Kendris Morales kind of coming back down to earth, it was about time for another bat to step up, and Devin Travis has been doing that. A 2-for-6 night last night. He had the home run that put the Blue Jays up 2-0. He had the double. He's he's showing glimpses of what he, he was during those playoff runs, and if he wants to be a part of future playoff runs for the Blue Jays, this is exactly what he has to do. So was very pleased by that. Yanher Hervis Solarte had a really good day at the plate too, knowing that he's going to be forced into action with the injury to Brandon Drury which we will talk about in the second half just a little bit but two for three for Salarte had a pair of walks so Rang his on base percentage up a bit which is nice to see out of him because too many times he's been taking those empty swings and really not generating anything at the plate so that was a positive to see as well there, there were positives to take away Luke Maley had a two for five night so you know it You're looking for what you can find. It's like we talked about yesterday. You're looking for whatever bright spots you can find in this season to try and hold on to for next year and try and build on that hope. And no spot was brighter than Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman, there were questions about whether or not he really had it against the elite teams. After coming back from his injury, he's looked great against, you know, the AAA squads that are masquerading as MLB squads this season. He's dominated Baltimore. He dominated Chicago. But, you know, he had that rough start against Boston uh, right before the All-Star break. He struggled in his previous start against Oakland. It was a major step back. He gave up 11 runs. So... He gave up 11 hits, 7 runs. Sorry. He went 7-11. But you had to look at the start like this and wonder if he would be able to find that adrenaline, that competitive edge that he uses against a team like Boston that he had such a rivalry with that dealt him that blow right before the All-Star break. And he came out and answered all those questions, whether he was riding the home fans or just, just feeling... More in his feelings, but he was electric. He was getting all those ground balls. He he had 16 ground balls against two fly balls in that game, which is exactly what you want against a home run hitting team like the Red Sox to keep the ball on the ground and give your fielders a chance to get them. And he was doing that with ease against this Red Sox team. He no hit them if you did Don't count J.D. Martinez as a member of the team. One run, it was unearned, and it was on Travis's error, which was a bad error for Devin Travis to give up right after the home run. So that is what it is. He completely reset his ERA after that Oakland debacle. He's back down to 520, which is the lowest it's been all season. And again, he looked good, which is why it was so disheartening to see him uh, meet with Nicky Hoffman as he warmed up at the beginning of the eighth inning and have to leave this game with a finger issue. They said it was a hot spot. They said he's been dealing with it all year. They said it, it looks to be a full-on blister at this point, which, you know, with all the talk we've had with Aaron Sanchez about his blister issues, it's not something that Blue Jays fans want to have come up with the other stud starting pitcher. So yeah, it it it's a big concern for this club. And it makes me wonder if Keegan Mathison of Baseball Toronto reported that he's a hundred percent going to make his next start, which will likely come against Tampa Bay. But I'm I'm wondering if you don't just take the opportunity to say, no, we we wanna make sure your finger's all right. We wanna make sure it's going to be at the point where you can come back and in 2019 and, and pitch to your full capabilities. I, I question whether or not it's smart to keep putting him back out there. If he's going to have this hotspot, the, the main argument against that is probably who else is going to start. I mean, uh, Mike Hostile starting today, he just came in off the street. There aren't many of those people who are going to do that. Drew Hutchinson's not coming through that door. He signed with Texas. He's starting there, which is going to be fun. But it, it worries me that this continues to be a problem with Blue Jays pitching, especially when there have been questions of length and how deep a starter is able to get into a game with this team. And... And I know it's got to be frustrating for Strowman, too. You could see it on his face as he watched from the dugout as everything that he worked so hard to build in that game imploded upon him. And actually, we will talk about that right after this break. Okay, so as we said before, the lovely ad... Strowman had to come out of that game in the top of the eighth during his warm-ups and basically watch as his fate was put in the hands of Ryan Tepera. Now, we talked about Tepera and his failed stint as a closer over multiple seasons, and he was just called called to come out in his normal eight-inning role, and he proceeded to be useless. And I, I say that lightly. Yes, the strike zone was inconsistent, and he was ultimately ejected for arguing about that strike zone with Ed Hickox. And and there was no questioning. It was bad. Like, there was no true line to really pitch upon. Like, it's not MVP baseball out there where you can consistently look and say, okay, this this is where you got to hit that pitch. So, obviously frustrated, but... It seemed like it got to Tapera very easily after he got that strikeout against Brock Holt. He allows a double to the number nine hitter, Sandy Leone. And the Blue Jays have had problems with number nine hitters all year. And you are not going to have success if you keep putting ducks on the pond that have no business being near that pond. They should be in a petting zoo somewhere. They have no business being on that pond. Sandy Leone's a 215, 220 hitter. He should be the kind of guy that you are not afraid to challenge not serving up a first-pitch fastball down to pipe to him and and letting him get on base for those big threats in the Boston lineup. And they took advantage. Mookie Betts was able to walk because that's what Mookie Betts do. He gets on base no matter what. Andrew Benintendi got got that seeing-eye single. They traded a run for an out, which I... That, that was forced because of Travis's issue at second base... Tra- trying to pick that up. You have Sandy Leone chugging home. I think you could have gotten him if you don't bobble that ball, but he had no choice but to go to second and, and risk not getting Benintendi out. So that is what it is. But then you have an open base for JD Martinez, who is leading the league in home runs and RBIs and you don't really do anything to it you you pitch around him for a bit and then Tapera just grooves one in there that he blasts over the left field wall and that speaks to just I, again we've we've talked about this kind of lack of planning that Blue Jays players seem to have this lack of thought of of a notion of attack when they're at the plate or on the mound and it seemed like Tepera was kind of hung out to dry there. And after, you know, getting questionable ball calls, of course he's going to throw one and he's like, well, the umpire has to call this a strike. And JD Martinez knows you're going to do exactly that. And he's going to put it over the wall. So there's there's no one Tepera can really blame but himself for that. And it got worse after the Blue Jays got a miraculous comeback first the luke Maley double and then justin smoke doing justin smoke things against craig kimbrell which was so good to see he he hammered that 3-0 fastball right over the wall which i think kimbrell might have been upset with the strikes and balls called as well and just put that over just to try and Just take the sting out of it. Didn't need any help with the other ones. Travis, Hernandez, Morales, all gone swinging. So that is what it is. But then Ken Giles came out for the 10th. And second Ken Giles came out. And it's a non-save situation. It's a tie game, 5-5. You're already kind of worried. Because Ken Giles does not do well when a save is not on the line. When he's not working with a lead. And he... Proved it in no short order. He got the number nine guy. He got Sandy Leon swinging. But then a triple to Mookie Betts, which if Kevin Pilar doesn't try to make the highlight real catch, he probably just stops in front of it and cuts it off and maybe holds Mookie to a single. But he is an aggressive fielder. He is all or nothing. And he got nothing on that play. It's how Pilar plays. I, I can't really fault him for it. But then Benintendi walks, and you have Mitch Moreland up. And again, you've seen J.D. Martinez hit a home run. You cannot fool around with Mitch Moreland and put him on board as well. So instead, Giles serves up a first-pitch fastball that Moreland hammers over the wall in right field. And and that's jammed done. He, and then Jackie Bradley Jr., another two fifteen hitter, takes Giles deep. And... It's the same kind of inning we've seen from the Blue Jays of late. They'll they'll keep it close. They'll keep teams at bay. And then just one reliever will go out. And it's a gong show. We Jaime Garcia had it uh, against... Um, I believe it was Oakland. But, yeah. And then uh, Jake Petrica and Luis Santos combined to do that against Minnesota in extra innings. I don't know what it is with the Blue Jays relievers. Like, if they're going to lose, they're going to lose big. They're going to vindictively eliminate the save chance for the opposing pitcher. And yeah, it it's just jammed done at that point. And it, it really sucks because I, I can almost see what Giles was trying to do. You know, you get that runner on third in a tie game. You, you're facing the heart of the Boston lineup. You do want to be really careful. So I can see kind of pitching around Ben Intendi, who's proven to be a good contact hitter. But against a guy like Moreland, who's more of a free swinger, you cannot groove him a first pitch fastball like that. I know you can hit 98, but Boston can hit 98. Speed is not going to be enough. And like once that happened, you could see Giles kind of give up a little bit. When he, when he pitched to Bogarts, it was like, eh. When he pitched to Bradley, it was eh. And he was, those were both 0-2 pitches he couldn't finish the job on. Which is a bit disconcerting. Like is he is he just trying to use his fastball to get that? Is he is he not confident enough in putting a slider where he needs to? That's the concern I have with Giles. If he gets ahead like that, I I can see using one pitch to maybe get a swing, to to maybe kind of fool a guy. Blue Jays seem to use like three pitches to try and do that, which is foolish, because that's how your pitch count gets rung up. But for a reliever, you're just going out there for one inning. You, you can play around with pitches a little bit more and to see Giles just continue to to pump fastballs in there that the Red Sox batters were teeing off on, that was disappointing. And I think the only thing more disappointing was seeing a bunch of Blue Jays fans like, oh, why'd we trade for Giles? We could have had Asuna sooner. Send Giles back. Shut up. Shut your mouths. Giving up A lead to the best team in Major League Baseball. Giving up home runs to the best home run hitting team in baseball is not a crime. Beating your partner, that's a crime. And that's why Osuna's not here. That's why Osuna deserved to be shipped out. And if you prioritize a a guy who is violent and has shown no remorse for said violence over a guy who gives up a long ball, I will take ken giles on my team any day over roberto osuna and i i think anyone who says otherwise has completely lost sight of the main purpose of human life because it's more than sports sports are a game a game that we are lucky to be able to enjoy on a regular basis nothing comes before that so that that's what i wanted to end with on today's episode going to keep it short it's It's Wednesday. It's humid as heck. There might be a thunder shower in Halifax today, so I don't know how long I'll have power. Place has been pretty good about it, but we'll see. Anyway, uh, thank you all for listening to this. You can follow me on Twitter at NeoAC18. That's NeoAC18. You can follow this podcast at LockedOnShays and subscribe to it on iTunes and Google Play and make sure you don't miss an episode. We're, We're coming up on 100 pretty soon already starting to get things in the works for that episode. Try and do something a little more interesting than just having me talk on about it because I I can't make playlists every day. (laughs) I I think it would just get depressing at this point. So again, I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in however you choose to do so. It means a lot to me. So for everyone here at Locked on Blue Jays, I'm Ryan Andrews. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and y'all take care.